Hi, Ryan Bloom from Urban Bonfire here. Welcome to today's episode of the Fireside Chat. I'm going to have an amazing conversation with Doug Birch, visionary architect from Malibu, California, and we're going to talk about his vision for design, what he sees as trends in merging indoor and outdoor, all of the work that he's done around the wildfires, and now learning how to convert into modular and really interesting smaller space homes with his new shipping container series called The Boo House and partnerships with Sunset Magazine. Really, really cool discussions and even a very cool anecdote about a project called the Surf Rider Hotel that Doug worked on that just happens to be a place that my wife Sarah fell in love with a couple of years ago. What a coincidence. Enjoy this episode. Thanks so much for joining. Hi, Doug. It's Ryan. Hi, Ryan. You look like a character in the movie Ant-Man. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could be at this point. I think, and I, and I want to jog your and my memory. If I'm not mistaken, did we meet at the West Edge Design Fair last year? I think you were exhibiting. Yeah, we presented our Boo House unit at that. That was the debut yeah. of, of the Silver Bullet, as we call it, the Silver Boo House unit. And since then, right. I, I can give you a complete update when you're at some point when you want to talk about that. But it's just, it's just like absolutely going crazy right now. I went to see uh, the Boo House at West Edge. I, I'd love to just maybe take not you know, a couple minutes and learn a little bit more about you, your history, your firm, what inspires you. And then I really want to jump into Boo House, which seems so unbelievably applicable to what's going on in the world right now in terms of space, environmental, the fire issues. I can't wait to hear about that from you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have both the Boo House and then we have this partnership we created with the our bud unit with Plant Prefab and Sunset Magazine, which I'll like, we'll elaborate on, you know, also I can talk about that. Right. Um, yeah, just in general, um, you know, I've been kind of in Southern California, born and raised in Southern California, um, you know, went to high school here and, and grew up in the San Fernando Valley, which is a bedroom community in, in Los Angeles, kind of a post-war bedroom community. And uh, then I went to college at, at USC, which is the, there's two main colleges in town in LA. There's University of California and there's UCLA and we're kind of rivals, but we're, you know, we're two main presences in town and they have the architecture school. Um, I really became interested in architecture because actually my uncle was an architect. He'd since passed away about 10 years ago and he was down in Orange County um, in Newport beach town in Orange County. And um, then my uncle, my cousin was also an architect and he went to Harvard and so we kind of have some architects in the family. Um, and, I, and, I, and I tell a story when I was a little kid, I used to go visit my aunt and uncle down on Laguna Beach and he'd have his kind of his office there and you'd have all these drawings. And back then everything was all hand drawn, of course. And he'd have his drawings strewn about his office. And I was just like looking at him and he would give me sets of plans and I would just take them home and I would just trace them. So I would just take these plans and I would just draw right over these plans and I just, you know, might as well doodle, right? So I'm doodling over and creating that. So it just became interesting. And then back then architects had this way of slanted writing, you know, classic architects writing. So learning how to hand letter like a perfect description or something. And so that kind of became interesting and it became this, wow, this is kind of cool. I remember as a kid, even I was always into tools and building and I built things in my backyard and 
you know, Christmas, I'd ask for like a lathe and a bandsaw, right? Most kids would ask for maybe like a scooter or a boat, but I'm asking for a table saw, right? And nowadays you give your kid a table saw, you're thinking danger, right? So my, kid, yep. my parents were thinking I was going to be fine. So I was always building stuff and doing stuff. And then I said, what the heck? So I followed my uncle's footsteps, went to USC. My father had gone to USC. All my brothers went there. So we had kind of a legacy, um, joined a fraternity and became the fraternity president. Um, I grew up, you know, loving nature. I was an Eagle Scout. So I did the whole scouting thing, which was awesome. And uh, so I totally have a love for nature. That's probably why we have our ranch up in Idaho, because we're just totally enjoying that level. Of, um, I got married about 32 years ago. My wife's from Louisiana. Um, she's an LSU girl. So she's, you know, Southern, Southern product out here. Um, we had twin boys who are now 27 years old. Um, one lives in Portland. The other one lives in Sun Valley, and they're both kind of artists in their own right. One's a really high-end kind of graphic designer, and the other one's a woodworker and a painter. And um, and so both boys, uh, everyone keeps asking, are they going to take over my architecture practice? And and uh, and they're not really at that level, but they certainly are creative on the other level. So um, kind of creativity runs in the family and things like that. My grandfather was an engraver, um, one of the classic engravers of the time when people had engraved stationery. So he would hand engrave and carve things and make logos and letters. And so there's a little bit of artistic background, little kind of in our family. And so I've been kind of following suit on that. So I opened my business over 30 years ago and started out in LA. Um, since then, I've had an office in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. Um, and I had done a lot of work in Texas. I don't think I've ever done a job in Canada, but that doesn't stop me from starting a job in Canada. Um, and then I'm licensed in Idaho, Wyoming, and um, Montana now, in addition to California, um, and uh, have an office also in Sun Valley, Idaho. Actually, we're kind of uh, building a new office there. And um, we're having fun. I mean, I call it a passion profession because I get up at five o'clock every morning and I just start drawing and enjoying, you know, that. I still hand draw today. I mean, I'm the only one in my office that hand draws. So as I, as I kind of have a saying, I mean, whenever, when there's a power outage and nowadays there's a lot of power outages because of the fires and, and the, you know, lack of power in California, you know, I'm the only one who's still working. I go, what's up guys? What's wrong? you can't work on your computer, right? So there I'm, I'm hand drawing and sketching and giving them the information. So, um, the rest of my office is I've grown my office right now. I've got 20 employees here in LA. I've been hiring even all during COVID we've been knock on wood so busy and I have a satellite office. I've got four people that work for me in South Korea. Um, they used to work for me here, a couple, a married couple. They moved to South Korea to have a child and now they started a satellite office and, after the Malibu fires two years ago, we had to work remote because our office was literally on fire and we were displaced for about a month. So we're used to working at home. Um, the COVID thing happened and we've got that working at home thing down. And we work, live in an area now where real estate is insanely busy. A lot of people moving out of LA, moving, want to move to the beach, move where we're at. So again, can't complain, super busy. And I'm excited because we started out in residential and now we're doing a bunch of hospitality. It's my dream to do boutique hotels. And now we went from 
one hotel to five hotels in about three years. So we've got some fun hospitality projects that we're working on and restaurants and things like that. It's amazing. There we are today. A couple of things you said that uh, kind of resonated with me. The first one is talking about your childhood and how, you know, not getting the scooter, but getting a, I think you used a, a saw of some type um, and how much, or a, how do you feel that sort of childhood experience impacts later in life? Because, you know, for me, I was a super creative kid who had a mother who would never allow I was never allowed to have a toy gun, a toy weapon, anything of that type. And I was, you know, all the other kids did. But I was allowed to play in my dad's workshop. And my late father was not by any means a carpenter, but could handle basic sort of stuff, little small home renovations. And I would, you know, watch the average ninja show and I'd be down in the workshop an hour later with like cutting up a broomstick and using chain and making like nunchucks that would literally like probably be, you know, a real weapon or I watch Robin Hood and you know, the other kids get these little plastic nerf ones and I'm building these like with real like elastic bands and I'm firing one and it's going like a hundred yards, like two, you know, so I feel like that really has impact on us as adults, even if we can't, you know, pinpoint where it started. Right. I think tactile experience of, seeing, touching, learning things has a tremendous impact on us, even if we don't know it at the time. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly true because creativity back then was that you just made it up or you just built a fort in your backyard. You didn't have distractions of the internet. You just, you know, as your mom would do, it's like you went out and played for eight hours a day on a Saturday. No one even knew where you were, right? And so you were just in some field somewhere building something or you know, trying to stay out of trouble, but then you just knew you'd have to be home by dinner. Like no one knew where you were. Right. So it was just like, okay, but no one worried about it either. Right. So it was just a different time, you know, very different time, you know, and you know, I guess I'm, I'm older than you are, but it's still the same kind of experiences where today you're just, we're so distracted by, you know, what other people think of us and what we have to rely on and talk to others versus, no, just take care of yourself and good things will happen, right? So that's exactly right. Yeah. So, I mean, just anyway, so that was like my career. And then we can obviously elaborate on after the Malibu fire, these new businesses kind of starting and how that was all kind of generated. That was very interesting. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead into that with, I'd like to ask you about one thing before that. Um, I, you know, my passion really started in food. That's where it came, you know, Urban Bonfire, which is, you know, our company. It started as a retail, really outdoor cooking and food concept. And that's really where my passion came from. And if you think about the classics of cuisines, there's, you know, there's Italian, there's French, there's, there was Chinese, Japanese, everything was sort of defined by its origins. And then over the last 15 or 20 years, there's been this progressive idea of fusion where now, you know, there's Peruvian Korean and there's, you know, (laughs) Polish Costa Rican. The whole idea of fusion has happened. And I I look at your website and I see the way you've defined a lot of your precedent projects and you've got classic, uh, modern. Tell me over the course of your, your career, how the notion of fusion or lack of definition, if you will, is a big part of being able to maintain the creativity and the joy and the excitement of what, of what you do. 
Well, I mean, you're, I mean, in primarily referencing me, my, the, the different styles of projects that we work on and relating to that. Or trying to stay inspired and excited as you work with a new client and try and understand, you know, how, you know, historic definitions are in many ways today open to a lot of interpretation and how you have leveraged both the modern and classic or individually or, or collectively to keep your interest level and your passion and your excitement on each I mean, it's interesting. I was on a hike the other day with, I belong to a business group called Vistage and guys were hiking and we were asking a question. It says, Doug, is it easy just to fall back into doing what you did recently on a project versus what keeps you motivated to pass me change? I said, you know, it's just the fact that this is just a design process. You know, you can, you can design a logo and then have another client that you may take cues from that last logo or say, no, I'm going to completely go way out in left field and go to somewhere different, you know, get out of that comfort zone, get out of that change. Cause even though you could have perfected the perfect outdoor kitchen, an example, or a perfect window detail or a perfect entrance to what you think is to that structure or room. I said, no, we're going to do that. I was in early calls for with this call from Minnesota with a client this morning. And, you know, we said, you know, where you put the pool is really great. So let's completely put that on the side and let's look at this. If we had to start from fresh, what would we look at it again? So it's like, it's easy to do because it's like, okay, there's always another way. There's always, there's always another way to do everything. And so there's the best way. There's a really good way that people design and they come up with it. Even in your business, you know, you have like, okay, this is a really good setup, but is there a way to improve on it? And that's what obviously pushes the, any designer to really make those choices. When we deal with styles and you sort of historical references, yeah, we have to really base on that because there are clients that are super traditional and then they, they want to keep things the same. We had a fire rebuild client. She, I hadn't even met her yet. She, her house burned down in Malibu. She lives in New York. She can't come here. She's 87 years old. And, 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 and you would think when you rebuilt your house, you would rebuild it to something where maybe you, these are new ideas. Let's do something different. She wants to rebuild this thing exactly the same. Now, albeit it was a pretty cool house, I never went there. I never saw it. But she's just, and her husband and her grew up in this thing. They were in there for 45 years. So I can't understand why somebody didn't want to change, even though it's up to us as designers to say, well, you do know there are new stoves since 1962, right? Or there's a new way to get a refrigerator. So certain advances have picked up, but, you know, listen, somebody made a breakfast or a dinner or lunch back in 1935. It's, it hasn't changed too much, right? You still got to eat. And so what you have to do is you're creating the ways and technology is helping us get there. But then if I do it on the modern houses, obviously we have open floor plans. We have everyone wants to be now in this kitchen where everyone wants to meet you. And the, but then where do we do the dishes? No one wants to do the dishes. So we make sure we have the secondary service kitchen or secondary kitchen in all of our open floor plan houses. Very important detail, because no one wants to sit around and do the dishes, although there are those people from your friends, but you don't mind when they say, oh, don't worry, don't bother, but they're in there churning away and love to do the dishes, right? So, right. but you know, the old kitchen, which is the butler kitchens, which are the serving kitchens, that was the kitchen. And so nowadays you walk into those houses and you go, why is this kitchen has no view? It's sitting in the dark. But back then, that's what you did, right? But, but now, it's, it's like still have the two kitchens, but you, everyone ends up in the kitchen because that's the first place you talk to your friends. And the chefs are wanting to 
not feel like they're relegated in the back of the house. They're like, oh, they're in the action. How that, how, how that evolved from what it was, that, that's, you know, that's pretty easy. Well, it brings up a really interesting point. You know, I always try to coin the, the term of the kitchen, the central gathering place for every, almost every people person's home. You know, it's where my kids don't do their homework in their rooms. They do it in the kitchen. Yeah. It's all sort of that grand, that grand central main and main sort of space. And I, I'm curious to know, and, and I, I believe this to be true. Um, do you think the consumer behavior and their relationship to wanting to cook for themselves, even when entertaining, has been a... a a significant factor in the movement of uh, kitchen, whether it's indoor and outdoor, in terms of design, focus, investment over the last 10 years. You know, when, again, growing up, the idea of cooking at home was almost a silver medal or a bronze medal to going out to a restaurant, which was the gold standard when you were going out with friends or to celebrate something. Going out to a restaurant was like the cool thing to do. And I find that today's consumer has evolved a lot, whether it's because of, you know, the celebrity chef, access to recipe, progressive uh, retail food concepts like Whole Foods that make it easier. There's a whole host of different reasons, I believe, why today's modern consumer and, and, and wants to cook instead of going out. How do you well, feel, yeah. if you agree, how do you feel that that's impacted kitchen design in the home? Well, I mean, it's obviously exacerbated the fact that, you know, you've been forced to be at home. And so even if you didn't even think you're a good cook, you're a pretty good cook now because you had to be. True. And so, you know, you absolutely were then looking at your kitchen and go, this thing is terrible. I mean, you used to just think of it, the guy who just had his quick cup of coffee and he ran out the door in the morning and he never saw it. And then he came home after dinner and there was a plate of food waiting for him or his or her or whatever the, the, the craziness of people's working world. Or now you're in your house all the time and you're realizing this is a central place and we need to make this place awesome. And, you know, the weather typically says, you know, you have that great indoor outdoor kitchen. Um, but even our clients that are in Houston, Texas, where, you know, the humidity is torture, you know, we've still have, we air condition even these outside patios and they don't really care because they just want to be out there. Um, so we're still creating that. Um, it's certainly the hub. I don't think it's going away. I think it's it's going to continue. We have a really strong relationship with Polyform, um, the cabinet company. We 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 know the founders. We go to Italy twice a year. They debut products with us. They were the, like the, one of the only firms they've actually installed a Polyform kitchen in my office. I've had them in all my houses. So I'm always keeping up with them and and the European work market in the world. And I go to Salon de Moble, mm -hmm. where I was supposed to go this year. Right, I had the ticket. Um, and we didn't go this year, but I'm always trying to keep up what's happening in the world because obviously uh, it seems Europe sets the trends a lot of cases on both finishes and way to do things. And, and then you get with these appliance manufacturers and see what they're up to. Um, but no, as a designer, we're constantly trying to look at that way or redefine that, that way and that thing. We have a house right now where I mean, you walk in this house and this is a really great, great room, but this kitchen, it's going to be polyform. It just looks like, you know, it's like either you decide to put everything away so you don't see it and it doesn't look like a kitchen, right? It just looks like this really cool space, but then it just morphs into this great cooking location. But again, the messy part of kitchen 
we still have it a little room we can regulate to have somebody do dishes if they need to. Um, but that's, it's kind of like, it's an exciting part. You can't not have a kitchen. So whether you're doing a small apartment, a condo, or you have the monster 20,000 square foot house to work with, you know, it's, it's all, it's all great as far as, you know, designing for that. So I, I agree with you. And have you, have you seen, or are you experiencing a, a, a shift in consumer behavior or psychology as it relates to the outdoors? And I'm not only talking about kitchen, I'm talking about the, the space that they will uh, dedicate to it, the investment being made in design, materials, finishings, uh, frankly, the level of seriousness because often what we have found in, in, in our certain experience that the, and maybe this is different in, in Malibu where you obviously have the advantage of incredible weather as does most, much of California, but where the indoor or the interior architect design firm has in many cases not touched the outdoors. Their job kind of finished at the patio door or at the wall and it was someone else's responsibility to articulate the vision for the outdoors. What are you seeing uh, in your world in terms of the consumer, designer, builder want, need for activated outdoor space? Well, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, interesting, the same client I talked to this morning, um, and it may have something to do with the fact that they are in Minnesota and they're not for many months of the year, they really can't go outside, you know, unless it's a conditioned space, this outdoor kitchen but the fact that they're building this new house in Malibu, and they're, gonna, they're two doctors, and they're going to be moving out here. They found a really great property up a canyon, but has spectacular canyon and ocean views. And so one of their program elements is, is they almost want the outdoor kitchen to be better than the indoor kitchen, because I think maybe they're just thinking they're going to be outside and they're going to enjoy the outside. So the outside dining, making sure there's, and I've always said this, is that there has to be in every house, I don't care, big, small, large, whatever style, has to have the most incredible outdoor dining experience. Now that may be in the mountains where you make sure you have your heaters on the ceiling and fireplace nearby. So it's a warm space or it could be kind of closed off if it's windy. Um, but that, that, that's so critical that outdoor place that you can have, you have constant wine and you're going to sit there probably for three or four hours mm -hmm. even after the meal. So the dining outdoor dining room has to be adjunct to this outdoor kitchen. And then, because it's not just the outdoor kitchen, it's also the outdoor bar and the outdoor sitting area. And so it's a part of it. But, you know, just like these clients this morning from Minnesota, they said, no, I want, I want cooktops there. I want, I want a sink. I need a dishwasher. I need everything that's in the kitchen. And I may not keep the food out there, which is fine because the weather says, you know, obviously the salt air will spoil, you know, certain foods and things kept in a pantry. Um, but we can still have everything else. And so we will have everything else. It's a big space and it wants to be fully roofed. So then the, the dew and the salt air, you can't just have trellis. You got to have a solid roof and, um, and then the appliances. So even if we're taking this on a second level, cause now that we're doing our hospitality, you know, and even I was at an event with Russ Diamond and they read at the Fairmont hotel in Santa Barnica. And I think it was all the, um, Kalamazoo was putting that on. Beautiful stuff. And, and so, you know, our outdoor kitchens, you know, in our hotels are actually where they have the celebrity chef and they're whipping up all this stuff and they're letting their guests know. So that that's a show showcase uh, location. And so we have these rooftop hotels we're doing in Malibu now. 
and even though it's the bar, it's it's the barbecue area. It's it's like they they want to be able to make full breakfasts out there, flipping pancakes and making omelets, in addition to a Bloody Mary bar. And sure. so you know we're we're putting that on our rooftop decks, and because hey, why would and and especially now even during COVID, every all the restaurants are outside, of course. Sure. And the eating is outside and, and the chefs can cook outside as long as I have my roof covering. So the health department has donuts to deal with the bird droppings and all the other stuff that they care about. Right. Um, but yeah, everything closes up, uh, the, the, you know, the stainless steel, the cabinets. And uh, so I'm designing my residential outdoor kitchens as if the same health code, which is a commercial health code would determine it because you don't want to have, you know, obviously rodents get into your, um, you of know, cabinets and things like that. And so, we have all that, but I have the luxury of doing all the hospitality. So I'm applying that to the same level because, you know, I don't want a, a rat in my, you know, under cabinet thing under my barbecue. Right. So I'm going to close this off sure. and having lids and stainless steel counters that, that as if I was building it per the health code requirements. So it's, it's to that level right now. That's where we're at with this. It's very high advanced. It's, uh, it's, it's exactly what, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you're saying that because it's, it's exactly what we are, we are seeing is this idea that, and again, I, I didn't want to make this to really focus on, on the outdoor kitchens, but, you know, the idea that for so long um, people saw this outdoor cooking island or kitchen as this hollow framed stucco or stone clad sort of thing that didn't have the functionality or the aspects that you just described. And for a very long time, the consumer, even a lot of very sophisticated design professionals didn't know that there was an outdoor cabinetry based solution that, that existed where yeah. you could mirror design and functionality principles of indoor in outdoor material composition. So right. But make it fit the elements. And again, you know, we're not allowed to, we have to close things up every single night after mm -hmm. the use in a commercial outdoor kitchen. Yep. And so we can design, but don't make it look industrial, make it look great. Exactly. And so working with someone like, you know, the company that you're working with is, is critical because, you know, the types of seals, the types of drawers and doors, what can be kept in those. So, cause you yep. do have um, wind and natural elements and dust and dirt and grime yep. that's not necessarily inside your house. Absolutely. So, you know, these are just the things that, you know, we're now able to push into this. So we would work obviously with the, with the cabinets that are not just custom made, but, but are off the stock or something you would produce. So yes, that's the case. Which is a good lead into this idea of, you know, custom to the design professional consumer and in some ways modular and predefined. And I think that's a great segue into talking about, uh, you know, uh, Blue House. When it was introduced to me at West Edge last year, it happened to be, I remember, we could see the, we could see the smoke. There were tremendously bad uh, fires going on th at that point. And fast forward almost a year ago, it's just about a year ago, and now they are uh, even worse. And I remember hearing you speak and talking about how this, this modular shipping container style concept um, would be an incredible solution to being able to repopulate or reactivate people's properties after fires, whether it's an interim or whether it's a permanent. I'd love to hear more about 
what inspired you on on this concept what you're seeing uh, how someone who comes from the 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 experience of every pro I know you've built over 300 projects each one being custom and nuanced to now going into more of a modular option where there are certain limitations due to modularity what led you to this and and what are you what are you seeing and what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, there's I mean, there's there's two things that happened after the fire. One was a prefab business, which is we're working with plant prefab on an ADU, accessory dwelling unit, especially the fact that California changed their laws and saying that they want every property to have an accessory dwelling unit on their property, barring anything that has to relate to zoning codes. So that, that created a whole other industry. And that particular company, it partnered with, uh, or actually, yeah, had partnered with a uh, uh, Amazon and, and Amazon invested in this company back actually in October of 2018 before the Malibu fires. Mm -hmm. And so they had something going thinking that, okay, yeah, you're going to, you're going to have it. So ultimately, you know, you buy some toilet paper, you buy a book, you buy some, you know, bags and, and you buy an ADU, right? So everything's all on Amazon. So that, that ultimately will be the click of the button and your, your toilet paper is going to get there in three days, your book in, in a day and your maybe ADU in three months, right? So it doesn't matter. It's all, it's how you buy a Tesla. It's how everything is bought. Yep. So knowing that, that was one whole other discussion. But in the Boo House world, which is when we created this, it was actually myself and a partner who's a contractor. And he was with me all during the fires. And he had actually been uh, building with shipping containers previous to us meeting. And I visited a couple projects with him. And they were thought, oh, these are really cool guest houses because they were just easy to transport. And we're, that's even becoming more and more true now. We have clients that we're building for right now. And so they found us um, because of all this latest PR and stuff that we've had a huge spread and all over this um, YouTube video that we just had published. It's over like half a million hits and a big article in the, in the Palm Springs Life magazine. And we were down at the, at the Modernism Week and we had a huge drawdown there right before COVID in February. So we have all this kind of presence right now all over the web, which is obviously awesome to sell something. So we had these clients in the, in the, in the Bahamas. So it's like, okay, well, how do you get it there? Well, how do you get anything to the Bahamas? You got to go on a boat. Well, the shipping container goes on a boat and goes on a truck. So we build it here. We have a factory in Santa Paula, which is a community just about an hour from here. Mm -hmm. You build it. Everything is built in the factory. So you're dealing with quick labor. It doesn't matter rain, moon, shine, or even the fire outside, you're still building in the factory. You close it all up, you wrap it up, you put it on a truck and you ship it to a dock in Miami. And then you, from there it goes to Bahamas and it picks up from another truck and, and, and every truck is outfitted to fit a shipping container and then it delivers to your site. So it's, there's no special delivery method to send this product. And then this particular product because of the way that we've made it, we didn't want it to make it look like a shipping container. We wanted to make it look like just a really cool box. And so we then have it outfitted both. It's insulated properly, different. We're using, we're playing with different exterior material and cladding materials. And then we're doing different designs now because of COVID we're doing the office unit or this may be the homeschooling unit or it just may be without the bathroom. So those are gonna be simpler. The one that we created at, at the one you saw it has, it's just a hotel room. It's just like a really nice guest room in your backyard. It has the, yep. the, you know, the coffee maker, the little refrigerator called the coffee bar, the full bathroom, but we wanted it to be nature's bathroom. So you open it up and you have an outdoor shower and you have this great 
experience to feel like you're taking a shower, you know, wherever you live in a nature setting. And then the bedroom itself is during the day, it's a sitting room or an office. And then you slip the Murphy bed up and then it's your bed, slip the Murphy bed down and it's a bed at night. But then everything is just simple. It's all paneling with touch latch and it's clean oak and it's just nicer. So it's a kind of a high end unit where there was a lot of people already that were trying to build it as cheap as possible. Mm-hmm. We said, well, that market's already kind of taken. I don't want, my goal is not to build as cheap as possible. So I build nice and people will, will do that, but don't make it affordable, but don't, but make it nice. Right. So there's nice materials shown to be nice design. I always said that every architect and designer, the first thing they need to do before they become an architect to build houses is go work for a ship or boat building company, because if we've all been on the best yachts or boats, I know up in Canada, you have your share of yachts and boats, you know, cause every little inch, every little quarter inch is like perfectly set up. So everything is like when you're sitting there in the berth in a boat, you know, go, like, go work for that Italian boat builder. You'd probably make a great architect, right? So, cause you, you're really good at tiny spaces and using every little inch. And so that, that was part of what our, our design was. So we're perfecting that. We're, every one that we're doing now, we're perfecting our model. And um, so we have really amazing, we're working for a Navajo tribe in Arizona and we're building, they have this land uh, uh, Indian reservation and now we're shipping and building units for them and they're gonna make them like Airbnb units actually on their property. So you'd go visit this kind of glamping resort and we'll have a couple of those uh, working with a, a group that sets up Airstream parks in the U.S. and uh, and then they want to have a couple of our guys just sitting there because we can actually make ours because they're closer to the ground for ADA and wheelchair accessible a lot easier than ramping up to an Airstream, for instance, right? So we're kind of on the ground so we can be more um, universal universal design, right? So more ADA accessible, which is important to have in a in a in a, in a public uh, realm right now. So anyways, we're, we're perfecting and we're in business. It's like, okay, a year ago, we didn't know what we were building. And now we've got all sorts of crazy clients all around the, all around the area, it seems. And tell me if, who are, who are sort of the clients who are thinking about this? Are, are you seeing, there's obviously, I, I imagine there's the demand client that needs this to work because of time frame, because of, uh, fire impact because of lands, things, things of this nature. Are you also seeing on the flip side of that clients who are thinking of uh, a system like yours, a modular based system that is obviously using a shipping container, which has a, a notion of reuse of materials and environmental stewardship in its, in its psychology. Are you seeing clients who have absolutely no requirement or necessity to look at a modular option like this? and gravitating towards it just because they think it's cool or because it's got a great story or because it resonates with their values. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that. It's interesting on the reuse because, you know, the shipping containers that we use are brand new shipping containers because the, the ones that are reused, they either carried fertilizer or they carried certain things. So that's a, it permeates in the materials because most of the floor on those shipping containers was old wood and different stuff. And they had those boards. And so it's really hard to get, that completely decontaminated out and you can buy a shipping container for $3,000. So why would you buy a used one for a thousand, right? I mean, your base point is so much less. So you're getting a fresh shipping container and yes, they may be made in China or they're made in wherever they're made, but 
the fact is they're brand new, mm -hmm. but the fact that it's it's the easily trans the delivery on this. So that's not tricky. Um, and it's not difficult. That's a huge part of any product is, is the delivery on it and how it can move from one location to other, including moving to an island, right? Or moving in the air or putting it on a plane. You know, I mean, these are basic containers that can go in any mode of transportation. So that was an important part. And then we're building shipping container homes right now. We have a home that's on our website and I just visited the guest house, which I'm super excited. This is a couple in their in their late seventies and their fire, their house burned down on the Malibu fire. And the, all the clients that I have, this is like the least likely person. I'm thinking like the millennial and they want to have like the cool shipping container home. And they just said, what the heck they've been, they're just, well, we're going to finish out our years. We're going to rebuild our house with shipping containers. So we have nine shipping containers of various sizes, the 40 footers, the, the 20 footers, two story house with the tilted shipping container going to be their stairway. And it's under construction. I mean, I can't believe this is happening, right? And I was not doing any of this stuff prior to the fire. So I said, well, let's go try. And so that's been kind of fun. And that's not our, that's not has anything to do with our boo house business. This is just a, a, a contractor and an owner asking me to design a house using this same modular effect. It's not what our boo house business does because we're kind of one-offs. We're, we're just doing singular units. We have another client that's doing a ranch up in Idaho and they, they said, well, let's outfit the whole thing as a commercial kitchen. That's it. Do everything inside because you can lock it up and it's all going to be built at the warehouse. We're going to do another unit as a bathhouse. Another one is the kitchen house. And then that way they ship up to this property and then they're going to circle them around like the circle, the wagons and, and then just have a center open courtyard for now. And then that'll be the outdoor living space. So, you know, everything can be done in the factory and just, just perfect and then ship it. Right. So that's the whole idea is that you don't have minimize what's happening on the property side. You have remote locations that you can't just get these finished carpenters and all these people to show up. Don't just give me a guy to secure it to the ground and give me, give me a pipe to hook in maybe a utility and we're done. That's it. Have these been tested in climates like, you know, I, I'm in Montreal where I've got very, very harsh, you know, we need to have obviously foundation, we're dealing with snow, ice, th those types of things. Are these applicable with the right type of... Yeah, uh, it's, it's the way you insulate something. Any, anything in architecture is insulation, our value, U value for UV rays, mm -hmm. our value for wall assemblies. So they make a, a, a product that goes in between the cells of a shipping container and it's molded to the ribs. And so we create that, but then we also have the air gap between the outside and then this actual surface. So as the sun is hitting it, then there's this air gap. So this, the heat of the sun doesn't transfer into the metal that's the unit, because that's the problem even on a fire is that it was, the shipping containers themselves didn't burn, but everything inside did because it just created an oven effect, right. okay? Right. And then you've got, depending on where your power source is, so we have it set up, just like you would have in an Airstream or whatever, you still have air conditioning and heaters that are um, sitting inside in an outdoor condenser, um, depending on what unit that we're building. And then with solar hookup and, you know, backup generators if you want to. And, you know, depending on your septic source for your toilet, you know, is that, you know, regular septic system or composting toilet or whatever. But as far as climate goes, yeah, no, we had to, Wind was a big thing, um, putting testing in the desert. Um, 
And that was a question we had asked when we were doing for our Palm Springs clients. It's like, you know, what's the type of door and window systems? Because it's howling out there. But that's the whole idea is that when you have the awnings, those things close down over the, over the glass. So there's no glass exposed, even when you're not using it, or even if you had to close it up. It's like a storm shutter in Europe or storm shutters anywhere else. So the same awning flips down and secures so then no flying objects can get the glass. And then the windows and doors are rated just like any other windows and doors, depending on the climate, right? I mean, we use hurricane-rated even wind doors in our in our um, areas where we're building that. And so we'll build the, spec the same product if, if that's the requirement down in the Bahamas because they have potential for hurricanes. So the, the glass door system is rated um, higher than, let's say, in Montreal where – as of today, you don't have a lot of hurricanes, right? But you have cold yeah. and extreme and snowstorms and whatever, right? So, you know, we'll, we'll adapt. But a lot of the products actually are universal now, so they're, they're good for either of those conditions. Cool. Very cool. I want to tell you a short coincidence, actually, um, and it sort of lead into my, I guess, my last uh, question. My wife, Sarah, has been a yoga instructor and a studio owner for a long, long time. And about a year and a half ago, um, went on a three-day uh, retreat uh, in or at uh, Topanga. Okay. And stayed at the Surfrider Hotel, coincidentally. Wow. And I saw on your website your involvement in, in that project and came back and basically said to me, um, and we got married on the beach in Costa Rica in a tiny little town called, um, called Guiones, which is in Nosara, and just yeah. really connect to that simple nature, um, just that place that has tremendous soul. Right. And she came back from Topanga and from the surf rider and said, you know, right, this place has soul like this little hotel we stay at called the harmony which is just our favorite place on the planet sure. um, and i wanted to ask you what it's like or what makes malibu in the area that the concentration of where you live and your where your work is the soulfulness of the place how that has helped to inspire or created the backdrop for you to create the the visions that your clients obviously love, but also allows you to express your, your creativity on a project by project basis and how, you know, just the fact that it is Malibu, Topanga, that area and the natural elements that, that it has, how that has been um, a guiding force, if you will, in, in, in your firm and, and, and your, your design. Well, I think even, you know, just finishing the story on the surf rider, um, I'd say the majority of their success um, we, we went early on and the current proprietors are a couple, Matt and Emma. Um, and so Matt and Emma were from, um, it's New, uh, New Zealand, or she was from New Zealand. And they had never been hotel proprietors, but they just had a lifestyle that they were used to, um, a very laid back lifestyle and a casualness about them. Actually, Matt was trained as an architect and a very high on design and then his wife was more of a lifestyle person. So they, the fact that they'd never been in hospitality is why the hotel is so successful because it just feels like you just visited your friend 
And um, so it wasn't a big hotel chain and even the big hotel chains now, because we're working with Auberge and we're working with some big hotel chains and uh, they're always trying to main, you know, hone their ability to just feel like you just visited a friend at their really nice house when you go to this hotel experience. And that's when you get it at the Surfrider, the way they did the furnishings. And again, what the rooms are tiny, they're 12 by 12, 140 square feet. Um, you know, so there, it's not big, but it's just, it's a way you just, just set it up and the, the menu choices and the food. And then we, we created a space too that never had a roof deck and that was the public space. So, you know, and, and, and so there is no dining room. There is not even a full kitchen. It's called a prep kitchen because we couldn't have a restaurant there. So we created this kind of hybrid design and we took the old funky 20 room, you know, no tell motel idea, but it, because it's location right across from the number one surf spot and gave it that. So that was kind of the impetus and that set up this kind of lifestyle thing. Nobu's here. They have a, uh, and Soho House is here and the, the designers that were involved in those, we work with them. And there's a couple of local interior designers here, Vanessa Alexander, who's got this kind of style down. There's a restaurant at the Malibu Pier called the Malibu Farm. Since then, Helena is actually Swedish and she's an amazing chef. And everyone's trying to emulate her style. She's she's very popular. She's got restaurants now. She partnered with a very smart partner, a guy named Larry Ellison. Okay, so he's a deep pockets guy, right? So um, he he actually found her and says, "I'm going to take what you have and on this bring it to my restaurant." So she's now in in the island of Lanai at his you know Four Seasons restaurants, and she's in New York and she's in Vegas, and she, she's branded herself, but she's still humble. But that lifestyle of those restaurants and that kind of unpretentious way to decorate and do otherwise, that kind of sets up a, a, a mood. So when we're designing these homes, indoor, outdoor, easy, look like you just kind of picked up and left and there was no trouble, the types of fabrics, the type of designs that we use with our designers, that's all part of that image. And so when we're doing that, it's refreshing because it's you know, we have an opportunity. I, I get a new client. I'm going to have a talk to this new client in about half an hour. And, you know, it's, it's fun to say I'm doing a new design. So I'm looking like whatever I did in the past, the 300, 400 homes, it doesn't matter. It's like, this is like, this is my first house. So make it look like it's fresh. And so that's part of the impetus of design because I can think that way. I don't have to think about what I did. I have these other things I can do. So the lifestyle does set that up. Um, and, uh, we're fortunate we have other uh, clients that appreciate that too. Great place to be. It's, um, I, I'm, I'm constantly, um, inspired by what the, what the world of design can do in terms of never just sitting back and saying, you know, okay, we got it. You know, and people always talk about, you know, and I, from my own company's perspective, you know, we make mistakes all the time. We're consistently improving product, you know, making changes, figuring out what works. It doesn't work here. Let's fix this. And it can often become to our industrial design team. It's like, oh, again, we have to do that. I say, you know, Steve Jobs didn't make one iPhone and say, okay, we're done. It's, it's constantly needing to take feedback and improve and, and think about that, whether it's color, texture, and all these types of things. So um, I'm, uh, I'm, inspired by, I'm inspired by 
this kind of return to simplicity and, and a bit of even with wealth and financial means, there seems to be a, a, humbled, a humbled renewal on, 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 on basic elements of connection and, and food and, and, and greenery and, and air and sight lines. And I, I just think it's, it feels like a very nice place to be returning to a lot of the core values that I think in some ways we kind of got away from for a chunk of time. Yeah. Um, oh, definitely. I mean, it, it's something that, uh, you know, and even as I head up to, I'm going back to Idaho today, this afternoon, and, you know, I get inspired by living in the mountains and, you know, but I'm going back and forth. So I'm, I'm getting the best of all worlds right now because we have four seasons where I live and, and dealing with the elements and, but I'm constantly designing even my projects up there and vice versa there down here. And so I'm shifting even my own persona, my own world, to not get stuck in one area, um, but actually feel what it's like to be with these changing climates and seeing how that affects design. And so I'm fortunate in that, that way that I can shift even my workspace. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it from all levels. It's amazing. Well, Doug, I wanna, first of all, nice to see you again. And yeah. I, wish, uh, I wish it was face to face, but uh, the world is what it is uh, at yeah. the moment. Uh, invest in Zoom stock. It obviously is a good thing. It's here to stay. I, I believe that to be true. I, I really want to thank you for investing your time and sharing your story. I uh, sincerely right. appreciate it. Thanks so much to Doug Burge for today's episode of the Fireside Chat. I really enjoyed our conversation, learned a lot, and it was really inspiring to hear from this type of vision for the future of space and how this indoor-outdoor merge is slowly happening and becoming very, very common. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please sign up for future episodes. We'd love to have you in our audience and as well join our YouTube channel. If you love design the way we do, you have an idea for a fireside chat, we'd love to hear from you. You're welcome to email us or join the conversation on Instagram at Urban Bonfire. Until next time, thank you so much for joining.